But we are in the midst, uh, actually we're not in the midst, we're at the tail end of a focus that we started um, just, uh, gosh, about six weeks ago. We're in the process of taking steps to becoming more like who God has made us be and, and to do those things that God would have us do. And here at Bethel, we say it's very simple. And, and we take that word simple and use the first letters of each to kind of take steps to be in that process of uh, becoming and doing more of uh, what God would have us do. We, we talk about studying the life of Christ as a hoopagramas, a model that, that we trace our actions so that when folks would encounter those actions, they, they are encountering Christ. That we would invest in the three things that are eternal. God, his word, and people. Everything else is going to one day be absolutely gone. Those are the only three things that are going to last. And so might we focus on those three things? Then we're going to minister because we've been gifted spiritually to make a difference in the lives of people for the kingdom of God. And we've been entrusted with resources. Might we use those in people's lives as ministry? And then may we use the connection we have to enter the throne room of God and to have a conversation with the one who sits on the throne and bring those needs as we did just a little bit ago. And then to listen to the Holy Spirit because God speaks back. He's put his spirit within us to lead and guide us. And, and uh, that's what we looked at last week. This week, we're kind of concluding with expecting great things from the Lord. Now, of all of the steps, I think this is the hardest to really grasp and understand it's the most challenging, but it's also the most rewarding. And so for us to be able to get our minds around what we mean by ex expecting great things from the Lord, let, let, me, let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come, we ask that your Holy Spirit would take the words that are written on the, these pages, on your word, and write them on our hearts that would cause us to be changed, transformed, to be more like you. And if there would be anything that would hinder us hearing you, I pray we would move it aside uh, so that we could hear clearly. And our desire is to leave here changed to be more like you. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, what do, you, what do we mean when we say expect great things from the Lord? To expect something means that we have a belief that an event, a situation, or an action is going to happen. And so I want to ask you right out, um, what great things do you expect from God? What great things do you expect from God? Now, the Bible tells us that at the end of Jesus' ministry here on earth, he had a conversation with his followers, his disciples, and they explained their expectations of what was coming next. And um, Jesus also explained 
his expectations. Now, this time frame after Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, he spent 40 days um, at different times with the disciples. He ate with them. He taught them from the scriptures. He, um, he entered rooms without opening the door. He just kind of appeared before them. And um, as he was about to leave, uh, the disciples kind of exposed their expectations now that Jesus had died and rose from the dead of what they thought should happen next. And so we're going to turn to the book of Acts in chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, and we're going to start there. And it starts with he, meaning Jesus, presented himself alive to them, the disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they, the disciples, asked Jesus, Lord, at this time, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, what were they asking in that question? What was their expectation? Lord, now are you going to put the Jewish folks in charge over the Romans? Now will you make us... uh, um, in charge of the Jewish nation, because after all, we hung with you for three years. Will you now put us on top? Will everything go well for us? Will we be great? We know it's going to be different. And they were saying, Jesus, we know it's going to be all about us. Now, why wouldn't they think that? Jesus did beat the Romans at their own game of crucifixion. Jesus beat death. He survived. He came back from the grave. He beat the religious leaders. He he was large and in charge. And they were looking at nothing but success. But here's Jesus' response to their question. Starts in verse 7. He, Jesus, said to them, the disciples, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And so Jesus says, well, here are my expectations. You're going to be my witnesses. Now, for many of us, hearing that, okay, that sounds pretty harmless. Until you understand that the word witness comes from the Greek word martyria, where we get the word martyr. A martyr witnesses with their whole life. 
You're going to be my witness. You're going to give testimony about me to the folks in downtown Jerusalem. And by the way, that's where they all put me to death. Then you're going to be my witnesses in the countryside. Then you're going to be my witnesses in a place called Samaria, which were kind of half-breed Jews that, that most Jewish folks were disgusted with. You're going to go to that, those people that you don't like. And in fact, you're going to go all over the world, the known world, on my behalf. Now, those are two very different expectations. And if you look at them, here's the disciples' expectations. Next slide. We're going to be politically empowered. The Jews will overthrow the Romans. Each of us are going to be successful and in charge because we're with you, Jesus. And we're going to reign. Our word is going to mean something. Here's Jesus' expectations. They will be spiritually empowered. Together, they will witness uh, to Jesus and the kingdom. They will serve throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth. So column one, it's all about us. It's going to be great. Column two, it's all about the kingdom, and it's going to be not as great as you think it's going to be. Now, which column do you expect your faith to lead you? Which column would you choose? We would choose success over difficulty. And so that's the the expectations. So what are your expectations in your walk with Jesus? Is your expectation what Jesus can do for me? Now, to be fair, most churches advertise Jesus in that way. Jesus is kind of the golden ticket, going back to Willy Wonka. You get Jesus, you, you get the, the candy factory, and you, you get all the good things. So why wouldn't you give your life to Jesus? Because it's going to be great. You'll be successful. Accept Jesus as your Lord. Things will go well. Jesus is good for you. And the church pushes that. And not only does the church push that verbally, but in some ways, the church affirms that physically. We in the church try to make the church a good Sunday, a good experience for you. We just paid off a $1.7 million debt for adding on to this building. And it all started because the woman's restroom only had one toilet in it. For the entire congregation. So for 1.7, we got a couple more toilets. Because we wanted it to be comfortable for the folks who were yet to come, who were coming here. Do you know that studies have been 
uh, done to kind of uh, itemize, highlight why people go to particular churches. And four major things draw people to a church. The first one is the place. The place. Well, it's where I grew up. It's what I'm familiar with. The building looks nice. The seats are comfortable. The atmosphere, I mean, it's about the right temperature. It feels good to be in this place. The second reason people choose is the associate pastor. That's, what, that's the person. The, it's the personalities up front. Well, you know, the, the sermons aren't that long. They're, they're sometimes the people are witty. The, uh, we get out kind of in time. Um, the, uh, they're good-looking, sharp people. And so they go because of the pastors. The third reason that people go is because of the programs. Little Emma and Aiden love going to kids' church. The, the middle school and high school folks, they love the student ministry. There are good Bible studies. The maxi group where folks come and eat and, and somebody from the community shares what's going on in the community, it means something that there's a program that, that kind of scratches where people itch. And churches, a lot of times, are over-programmed because people are itching in lots of different ways. And so churches go out of their way to provide something for everyone. And the last thing is people. We go there because it's the church of our friends of Joe and Sally. Or the people are friendly there. Now, if you look at all of those things, the problem is all of the focus of those four things are on trying to make you all feel good about being here. We're saying, you know what? Being here is about you. And we will do whatever it takes, and churches do whatever it takes to keep you coming, to keep you comfortable, because this experience is to make you feel good and to be comfortable. Now, we would call these things, um, one, one topic would be secondary reasons to go to a church or maybe lower room reasons to go to church. They're all about the comfort of the attender. And, and so uh, we'll use the term lower rooms. It's, it's the doorway to get people into the building, into the experience. Now, are any of those things bad? No, none of those. In fact, some of those things, some of them, number two, would be really good, but there are, uh, they're not wrong. But here's the problem. 
None of those things will change your life. None of those things are life-changing. They're tools to get people involved, but they do not change lives. Years ago, there is a, um, there was a, a, a book called The Purpose Driven Life. Now, as a church, we studied The Purpose Driven Life. It's a powerful book by Rick Warren, who is pretty much America's pastor, who is now retiring. But he wrote this book, The Purpose Driven Life, how to find purpose in your life. Does anyone know the first sentence of the first chapter of his book? Stu. It's not about you. This incredible bestseller about discovering purpose and God's purpose in your life, the first sentence is, it is not about you. Now, some of you might be going, what, what, what do you mean it's not about me? Well, uh, it's interesting. We're uh, Pastor Jack Watson, who served this church for 33 incredible years. Uh, I mean, he was a theological scholar. He, he just was a huge blessing to this congregation. And then came back as Pastor Emeritus. He was my biggest cheerleader. And, uh, but I asked Jack one day, and Jack has gone to be with the Lord uh, uh, last summer during COVID, not this, yeah, not this summer, last summer, and, um, uh, or, or the spring during COVID, so we couldn't have a service. On October the 2nd, we're working to have a service to just celebrate Jack's ministry here, so you might pencil that into your calendar. But I asked Jack, Jack, as, I coming in, as I'm coming in as the new pastor some 17 years ago, Jack, was there ever... A, a message that, that you just, uh, that the congregation struggled with. And he said, oh my, yeah, and he had that laugh. He said, oh yes, yes. He said, one Sunday I preached that God is not interested in your happiness. He is interested in your faithfulness. And he said, it, it shocked the congregation. We lost members. God is not interested in your happiness or your comfort. God is interested in your faithfulness. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to tell the disciples in the way that he responded to what they wanted to see. They wanted to be in charge and on top and comfortable and powerful. God is not interested in your happiness or comfort, but in your faithfulness. Do you know why? Because most life changes do not happen in our comfort zones. 
And if you think about it, you probably can't name very much change that has happened when everything is going smooth and everything's going right. Change happens in the midst of difficulties. Change happens in the upper room. The upper room I'm talking about is the night that Jesus is betrayed. He shared a meal with his disciples. In that meal, he said, I'm all in. In fact, my blood is going to be shed and my body broken for your sins. I'm going to make a new covenant. And he takes off his robe and he puts on the garment of a servant and he washes the disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, not mine. And he washes Peter's feet. And he washes Judas's feet. And he washes the feet of all those who are going to run away from him in a few hours as he's arrested. They never forgot that night. In fact, you know that the Apostle John calls himself the disciple Jesus loved after Jesus washed his feet, not after the cross. He was so blown away by Christ's humility and the difficulty of allowing the teacher to wash his feet, that he understood the love that Jesus had for him. And then Jesus in the upper room says, as I have loved you in this way, you are to go love others in this same way. Where it's not about you, it's about serving others in the kingdom of God. But that's not the only upper room. It was the upper room the night that Jesus uh, rose from the, the grave, our Easter, that the disciples were locked in an upper room for fear. And it says, Jesus came in and says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In the midst of the craziness of watching Jesus be crucified and being depressed in an upper room, Jesus appears and says, I bring you peace. And I am sending you to tell others. As the Father has sent me, and he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, which was a taste of Pentecost. And it was after the disciples had seen Jesus ascend into heaven, it says they went to the upper room and they chose who was going to replace Judas. And they prayed together. It wasn't about them. It was about what was going to happen with the kingdom. Those upper room things changed lives. There's vision and mission and ministry and sending that happens in the upper room. When the church is all about you, all about me, 
we become lethargic in our faith. God becomes a butler to serve our needs. And we ask because it's all about us. Our faith becomes inward. We become complacent. Our expectations is, God, what are you going to do for me because I'm for you? God only becomes big when you expect him to do great things that are going to last forever. In the 18th century, there was a pastor, William Carey, in England. He, he knew his congregation, knew the Bible verse, uh, that God is able to do abundantly more than you could ask or imagine, but they didn't believe it. They knew it, but they didn't believe it. He preached one of the most famous sermons ever preached, and he said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God, and at the end, he looked out over his congregation and they were yawning. He quit as the pastor. And he went to India. And he changed the country of India forever. He said, God can do great things. And he looked over the, the land of India and he says, if Jesus were the Lord of India, what would it look like? What would be different? And he expected the kingdom of God to break into India and radically change it. And that's where he put his effort and his prayer and his energy. And India is different today because of his ministry. Do you know in India, when the husband died, all the, he was, the body was burned and all the wives were thrown in on top alive to go with him. And Gary had that stopped. But, that, I mean, thing after thing for the kingdom of God where life became different because he asked the question, if Jesus were the Lord of India, what would it look like? And he set out to do the things that would help Jesus to be known as the Lord of India. Have we asked that question about Columbus. I'm so glad for these churches that are saying, let's do something for the kingdom. And it's not about my church. It's about us in the kingdom doing kingdom things. Let's try something, even if it's just mulching the high school and the middle school, and even if it's washing a few cars or picking up trash or praying, let's make it about the kingdom. Have we asked that about our country? If Jesus were Lord of the United States, what would that look like? And how do we set apart moving in the direction of bringing the kingdom to this country? Making, what would your neighborhood look like? Are we 
in it for us? Or are we in it for making a difference in the kingdom? I came across a song that I, I want to play for you. And uh, now, I do want to warn you, the graphics are old. The technology, when this was graphically put together, was probably 18-something. But um, I, the message for the kingdom of God about the difference eternally you and I can make is highlighted in this. somehow touched by your generosity little things that you had done 
looking for in heaven that you can't wait to run up to and say thank you for giving to the Lord because it wasn't about you, you made it about me and brought me into the kingdom who comes to mind that may be the bigger question Who's going to seek you out in heaven to say thank you? Because you didn't make your faith about you. You made it about them and about the kingdom. I'm here because uh, a guy named Dave Chocote, once in young life, sought me out and made it about me. I'm here because Bethel Presbyterian Church back in the uh, 1970s made this the home of Young Life that brought Young Life, helped bring Young Life to Columbus. So there are lots of folks in Bethel's history. I need to say thank you because it wasn't about you. You made it about the kingdom and I got to be part of what you well, you made it. I had a privilege yesterday of going down to the Habitat House 
we joined five other churches and we put houses together and been doing it for years. This may be our eighth or twelfth house that we put up since Habitat began. Um, but it was a wall raising ceremony and, and I got to pray and, and meet Shamika Bowers and her daughter Tyler who are going to be the homeowners and there's lots of stuff that they have to do but, but I, they gave us markers to go and write on the studs of the walls that are going up just a, a blessing and on, on one of the doorways on the studs I said may God do great things in this house for the kingdom of God and may you be greatly blessed and I signed it Bethel Presbyterian Church Those are kingdom things when it's not about us. When we give, when we serve, when we love, not because it benefits us, but it benefits the kingdom of God. Who does God bring to mind that you need to thank? And who's going to thank you one day? You think about that. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder that it's not about us. It's about the kingdom. It's about the gifts and resources and talents and abilities that you've given us. The prayers that we can pray the spiritual gifts we can use, the way we can model you out in people's lives, making it about the kingdom. Father, may we know you to be a great God because we expect and see you doing great things. We want to be part of those great things. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, if have not bent their need to recognize Jesus to be their Lord and Savior who reunites us with our Heavenly Father, you, and gives us to make a difference, an eternal difference in the world. I pray this day that they would accept you as their Lord and Savior and begin making an eternal difference and being freed from making it all about us. We look forward to how you're going to use us and one day look back at the kingdom of God and be absolutely blown away for the great things that you have done because of our faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love the fact for the glory of Jesus' name, for the glory of his name, not about us, about Jesus and the kingdom. As you leave this place, know that you will make an eternal difference in the lives of people when it's not about you, but it's about the Lord and the kingdom. So go, peace to love and serve him and make, make an eternal difference in someone's life. Amen. <laughs>